Stand Up for the Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up for the Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion, addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, and anyone tuning in. Uh, it's just amazing the things we've gone through already this morning, but praise God, we know His mercies are new every day, every morning. So we're talking about the very important issue of life, the right to life. Very important today, and I'm excited about today's guest. Let's open up in prayer like we always do. Father in heaven, we thank you that you created us in your image. And we, every human being, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We know that full well, Lord. And we thank you so much for um, your plan and purpose for our lives, especially as Christians, Lord, for giving us a reason and a hope that we live for. And we have a job to do while we're here. We pray for strength to do, to do that and the wisdom to do it well. Uh, we praise you for this opportunity to talk about such an important issue that people tend to just get too busy and just forget about. But Lord, we know that you you have a heart for life because you created us and we are your children. And we thank you for that. We thank you that we can come to you, we can look to you, we can trust you with all every aspect of our lives. And we lift up this hour to you. We pray that you would encourage hearts, especially those uh, women and men who have gone through the anguish of abortion, and we pray for healing, God. But also we pray that people would come to you for forgiveness if they have not done so yet. Uh, we thank you for the work that you're going to do today in our hearts and through this podcast. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's special guest, we welcome back Rebecca Kiesling. She was conceived in rape. You may be familiar with her story. Um, she is also an abortion survivor. Since 1995, Rebecca has been an international pro-life speaker. She's also an adoption advocate and actively promotes 100% pro-life legislation. She's the director of Save the One and co-founder of Hope After Rape Conception. Rebecca is also a national spokeswoman for Personhood USA, and she's helped pregnant rape victims all around the world to choose life for their children. She's, if she weren't busy enough, she's an attorney a wife and mother of five, including two adopted children. Rebecca Kiesling, welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, just to clarify, I did not survive an abortion procedure where, you know, my birth mother didn't actually go through with the procedure. And, and I clarify that because I have friends who did yes. survive actual abortions. Right. Um, yeah, my birth mother went to back alley abortionist, and I was almost aborted, but she backed out. Wow. Because um, of fear for her own safety. Well, let's. And I owe my birth to the law, which protected me. Exactly, and I don't want to assume that, uh, especially a lot of our newer listeners know your story, Rebecca. So, if you wouldn't mind uh, just sharing those details, because it was in Michigan at the time, and the laws on the books, abortion was illegal, but your mom still considered it. But here you are. Could you please share to the bullet points of your story, please? Sure. My birth mother was abducted at knife point by a serial rapist, 
And she went to these two illegal abortions. One was just an OBGYN's office. She went through the back door, and it was filthy. I mean, mm. like so many legal abortion clinics today, yes. uh, you know, the kind of people that want to do abortions aren't exactly like the best doctors. <laughs> and um, then it was arranged. She she backed out because she was afraid of those conditions, and it, it was arranged for a more expensive abortionist. And again, given the clandestine circumstances, um, she was terrified for her own safety and she couldn't afford to go to New York for an abortion. Um, and so she backed out. But And when we met, she was happy to meet me when I was 19. But she told me, when I asked her about abortion, she told me if it had been legal, she would have aborted me. And she was like pro-choice when we met and said, it should have been my right. Mm. You don't know what it was like. Wow. And she maintained that position for the next six years. And, of course, it was devastating to have her say that to me. Um, and now she's pro-life, you know, 100%. She comes to hear me speak. She's super proud of me. She's mm. cried, telling me that she's so glad I was born. And Praise God. Out of, out of her three children, I'm the one who honors her. She doesn't have a relationship with my brother or sister who she raised. Hmm. That's sad. Uh, but it's, it's, I'm so thankful that your mom has come around now. And what, uh, you know, a heart-wrenching story, but it, it has, a to us, a happy ending because you are definitely doing some wonderful work in this fight for life in our country and around the world but please tell us about Save the One, Rebecca. Did you were you the founder? I know uh, you're a spokeswoman and you're the director of Save the One. Yeah, I'm the founder and president of Save the One. Okay, um, it's a global pro-life organization with a network. I literally have a database of over 900 conceived and raped like me, wow. mothers who became pregnant by rape, or incest or sex trafficking who are raising their children. Mostly, or birth mothers, or regret aborting, or re are sad that they miscarried. Hmm. And then we have hundreds in our carry to birth division who were told by doctors to abort for whatever reason, fetal abnormality or health of the mother. And so we specialize in defending all of the so-called hard cases in the abortion debate through our personal stories. Hmm. So save the one. I think of um, when uh, Jesus shared the parable of the one lost sheep. Now we're talking about literally saving a baby's life, a baby in the womb from abortion. But, you know, Jesus emphasized how important it was. You've got 99 healthy sheep and that are good, but one of them strays away. you got to find it and save it. Is there any connection to that, the, just the name of the organization, Save the One? Yeah, that's where it comes from. Awesome. And in context, Jesus was talking about the little ones. Hmm. He said, see that you do not despise any of these little ones. And what a strange thing to say. I mean, who would despise little children? Well, in today's society, uh, it's my people group. We're called demon seed, evil seed, horrible reminder, Satan's child, um, devil spawn. Wow. Um a horrible reminder, rape trophy. We're systematically targeted for extermination in the womb, you know, within legislation globally. I mean, we're the only people group in the world today that it is politically correct 
to demonize and target dehumanize, uh, mm-hmm. along with those with you know fetal abnormalities. They're, mm-hmm. they're targeted. And uh, so, yeah, and then he says, Jesus says, for I tell you, there are angels in heaven always look upon the face of my Father in heaven. And he goes right into the parable of the lost sheep, how the good shepherd leaves the 99 to save the one. Mm-hmm. And he finishes the parable by explaining its point. He says, For in the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Mm. Praise God. And neither should we. So in context, he's talking about the little ones who are despised, who are at risk of being killed, Mm. of dying. And he says he's not willing that any of them should perish. And there's this unfortunate motto in the pro-life movement, on the national level especially in particular, that you save the 99 in exchange for the one, that you engage in child sacrifice. Hmm. Wow. They'll say it's it's a burning building, and wouldn't you save the 99 in exchange for the one? But nobody goes back to save the one. We've had the Hyde Amendment. It didn't always have rape exceptions, but for the past 25 years or so, it's had rape exceptions, and you never hear them talking about going back to save the one. Instead, they just make it like... It's standard language now that, oh, well, this merely incorporates the terms of Hyde. Mm. Hyde like, it's just standard on Capitol Hill now that every piece of pro-life legislation that moves forward has to have a rape exception. And that's how it is. Um, at the state level, we've been far more successful where uh, the overwhelming majority of laws introduced and passed have no exceptions. Well, but, it, you know, it's all about leadership and about your values and whether you're willing to engage in child sacrifice. Yes. And but, you know, that's contrary to the heart of God. Yes, as we know from Moloch, the God they sacrificed children to in the Old Testament. And going back to your website, very simple description about who you are, Rebecca Kiesling, conceived in rape, targeted for abortion, protected by law. And what you're talking about is some of the legislation, some of the laws and some would say, well, do we have to fight so hard to try to get these laws, you know, more protections for life? Uh, we've got heartbeat bills. We've got personhood amendments. How important is that, Rebecca? Because some would say, well, the statistics aren't really going down like we would like to see. So some are, are kind of maybe being fatigued in the fight. Would, how would you encourage them? Well, you know, first of all, um, you know, having pro-life laws with no exceptions, I mean, it's it's biblical. The um, In Deuteronomy, we're told that you're not to punish the child for the sins of the father, and each will be put to death for their own sins. Uh, and right now, we have children being put to death for the sins of their parents. And when it comes to the issue of rape, you know, that innocent child is put to death for the for the crimes of the father, and that's contrary to the Bible. But it's also contrary to our Constitution, because we're told that um, in the 14th Amendment, you know, first of all, the right to life comes from the 14th Amendment due process clause, where it says that no state shall deprive a person of their right to life, liberty or property without due process of law, and no state shall deny a person equal protection of the laws. And when you have exceptions, 
you're, I mean, of course, abortion is denying equal protection to the pre-born. And then when you have exceptions to an abortion bans, you're denying equal protection to a people group, to mm. my people group. Yes. And it is barbaric to punish innocent people for someone else's crime. We don't do that. And I, I always ask people, um, do you advocate for a rape victim to be able to pay someone to assassinate her rapist? Or just her innocent child. Hmm. Because, wow. I mean, that's what it is. It's like Planned Parenthood abortion clinics. They're paid assassins. Yes. Yes, they're abortion corporations, abortion business. And they get our tax dollars, which was one of the most disturbing things to me, Rebecca, because approximately different polls have different you know, numbers, but approximately 80% of Americans do not agree. In fact, they oppose federal funding to Planned Parenthood. There's, there's got to be some Democrats in that group. There's got to be some pro-choice people in that group. They just don't believe our tax dollars should go to fund Planned Parenthood. Almost 80%. How do you respond to something like that, knowing that here we are, year after year after year, they continue to get our tax dollars? Planned Parenthood does. You know, um, I know a lot of people really hammer away about this tax dollar issue. And of course, I mean, I... I I have fought laws here in Michigan. I was part of the effort to override the governor's veto when he vetoed the No Taxpayer Funding of Abortion Act. And he vetoed it because he said it was Republican. He said that there should be rape exceptions and rights life in Michigan won't engage in child sacrifice. So we did a statewide petition drive to override the governor's veto because we've never had a rape exception in a single law here Mm. in Michigan. Wow. Um, and so, you know, I, I was part of that effort. I mean, of course, we, we want to shut them down however we can. But, you know, the bottom line is, though, that babies are still being killed, you know. And I, you know, it's... With or, with or without tax Nazi dollars. Germany, that the, that the, if, the, if the big push was just to defund the concentration camps, I mean, you know, we, we still allow it, but let's just defund it. Mm. I mean, it's like, oh, really? You know? Yeah. And, and the sad thing is on the federal level, every single defunding bill, and there's several, like five different types of defunding bills, every single one of them has a rape exception in it. Mm. Wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So we're talking to Rebecca Kiesling, and a very important topic here, and there's so many different angles on this uh, issue, Rebecca, whether it's be uh, pro-life. How do you respond to people, I mean, good, uh, maybe Christian or Catholic or religious people that are conservative and pro-life, but many of them would still hold that exception. They would say, well, I'm absolutely pro-life, except in cases of rape, which is, from my understanding, less than 1% of all uh, abortions in the case of rape. So how do you respond to good people who generally are pro-life, but they still will hang on to that exception? Yeah. I mean, I cringe every, every time I hear the statistic, oh, it's only 1%, because, and, and that's really been the primary response from pro-life leadership for more than four decades, for almost five decades now. That's, I've just heard it so many times, mm. and, you know, my friend Jim Sable with my organization, Save the One, he asked me, what percentage do we have to be before we matter? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Asians are 1% of our population. Muslims are 1% of our population. Yet you would never de- deny them equal protection because they're only 1%. And then again, you know, the heart of God is to save that one. 
save yes. that 1% Absolutely. of all the sheep, you know? Um, but, uh, so from a biblical perspective, I actually had a conversation with this um, woman in, in a church parking lot, and she was saying that she doesn't want the church talking about abortion, that she would leave, you know, she doesn't want to hear it. Wow. And then we got to talking, and she said, well, what about rape? And I told her my story. And then I, she was sort of like fighting me on this. And then I, I asked her, well, look, did God not create me? <laughs> and she stopped to think about it. Wow. And I'm like, well, what are you thinking about? Like, where in the Bible does it suggest that Satan creates children? And and she says, oh, all right, I'll give you that. Okay. Oh, like, oh, wow. Oh, thank okay, you. Well, you know, God and I, thank you. Oh, you know, geez. like, I mean, people need to work on their theology. There was a pastor, <laughs> Bishop Paul Morton Jr., in in a, at a pastor's luncheon of 2000. He was denouncing the Democratic Party for the position on abortion. He said, but the Republicans have taken it too far. And he says, you mean to tell me a woman's pregnant with a demon seed? And then he says it again, a demon seed, not what God created. Oh, my goodness. And it, like, what? Yeah. And he got away with that in a luncheon of 2,000 pastors? Wow. Are you kidding me? Wow. Yeah, work on their theology. Yes. Like, how did he not instantly get booed down, you know, and shouted out like, okay. And then I asked this woman, and and she and I asked her, did God not create me for a purpose? And again, she stopped to think about it, and then she responded by saying this: I just think that God might create some children for the purpose of being aborted. Oh my! Now this was in a church parking lot, and someone said that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, from my church. Oh my! That's that's yeah. like something out of Hollywood. That's like their worldview. Oh my She's goodness! She's like in Bible studies. She volunteers. Wow. I mean, that's wow. that's sad. We need some reeducation in the Bible, and like you said, uh, that's so theologically wrong. There are some people that don't take Genesis uh, one to eleven or Genesis first couple of chapters about creation. Um, they don't take that as literal. And, and I'm thinking, well, if you take that part of the Bible, what else would you like to take out of Scripture? When God says, when the, the Word of God says all Scripture is inspired by God and good and profitable, and you kind of go, you scratch your head. You know, you can't pick and choose. Anyway, we're talking with Rebecca Kiesling. We have so much more to cover. Um, I do want to ask you one more thing, Rebecca. You've got another, yet another defense for life in that you have, um, a daughter, Cassie, who I believe she, she was born with special needs, right? Would you like to tell us about her? Yeah, Cassie was born with a serious genetic disorder, to everyone's surprise. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is our second adopted child, and I met her birth mother when she was two months pregnant. We immediately prepared to adopt. Um, we became friends, and we were adopting through uh, an attorney, basically, and um, I went to both ultrasound. We had a very open adoption. I, at the first ultrasound, they said there might be something wrong with her heart, mm. and then they were trying to get her to roll over, and, and they said, we'll come back two weeks later, and went back, and they said, oh, we got a better view of her heart. Everything looks good. And it turns out she did have something wrong with her heart. Mm. So when she was born, I was the only 
person in the room with her birth mother because she kept saying, I, I feel like I need to push. And the nurse like wouldn't check her again. So I just checked you an hour ago. You were only at whatever centimeters and you're not ready. Don't push. If you, if you push, you could get stuck. Doctor's not here or whatever. And, and then all of a sudden the birth mother screams, and this is a woman who was like a couple years old and me at the time. She was like 35. She screams and she says, the baby's coming. And I, I you know, I have to push and I scream out the door, the baby's coming. <laughs> And I get back to the table and the lights are still dimmed. And then all of a sudden I heard this like pop sound, like when you put your finger in your cheek and you make that pop sound. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she shot out like a cannon and landed on the table. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And, there, you know, I, I could see like through the sheets, right? I mean, it was crazy. And I'd never been in a birthing room before, but I was like, pretty sure this is not how it was supposed to go. Um, I, I've since given birth to three biological daughters. But, um, yeah, it was it was pretty spectacular the way she came into this world. Wow. Um, I mean, and thank God she landed on the table. She was like four pounds, three ounces when she was born. Mm. And um, she was born three weeks early. And then they whisked her off right away and cleaned her off. And then they came back and they started pointing out to me all of these different issues. So she had supernumerary digits, which is like an extra half pinky on each finger. Hmm. Um, And she had a coloboma of the eye, which is a cloudy eye, and then it's called Peter's anomaly, so she'd likely have blindness in that one eye. She had an imperforate anus, so it was like a slit instead of, and it wasn't in the proper position. Wow. Um, so I had to dilate that three times a day, and she was going to need surgery on that. Mm. Um, she, uh, what else? She, when she cried, she had a crooked mouth, so she had, like, weak muscles on, on one side. And she had subluxation of the hips, so she had to wear a special harness. And then when I started feeding her, she turned blue. Wow. And... They, they, you know, withdraw off, and then she got transferred to Children's Hospital that day, and her birth mother and I went together. Um, at the time, my husband was out of town, and he flew in that night. Um, he was at his brother's wedding. I had stayed home because, you know, just in case she had a baby. And so she was diagnosed with something called DeGeorge syndrome. It took a few days to get the diagnosis. They had to do something called a fish test. And when I Googled it, all I could find was how to detect in utero so you could have the opportunity to abort. And most of those babies are aborted. Um, she spent 12 days in Detroit Children's Hospital. We had so many people telling us that, you know, you don't have to bring her home. Mm. Nobody would blame you. Like, this is our daughter. Yes. You know? Yes. No, she's precious to us. Wow. Um, and... She thrived when she came home. She was doing really well. So she had she had reflux and she had um, a ventricular septal defect. And uh, she also had narrow nasal passages um, called coenal stenosis. So it wasn't like a narrowing. It was just narrow. So it wasn't like they could laser through. Mm. And uh, I had to do things to treat that. She needed all kinds of medications. But... Um, you know, it was an honor to take care of her. My, 
adopted son was Caleb was six months old when she was born. So, um, and it was kind of, it was cool like feeding them together. Mm. <laughs> it was, she had to be gavage fed with a tooth, and um, then her, and her birth mother came with me for a cardiologist checkup. She was watching after Caleb. Um, my, my seven month old at this point, Cassie was 33 days old and the cardiologist said that, um, she was doing so well. She was thriving so well. We're doing, doing a great job at home and that she was ready to come off of the oxygen that the hole in her heart was starting to close because there was more of a whistle and that was like really exciting news. Mm. And I asked him, but aren't you going to do that monitor to see if she's really ready? And he's like, oh, no, it's fine. Just, you know, when you put her in a crib, give her the oxygen again. And, you know, just keep an eye on her. If she starts to turn blue, give her oxygen. And I thought, like, I wasn't really comfortable with that. But I was so excited for this milestone. And we left there. And pulling in the driveway, she she had stopped breathing. Oh, my goodness. And went into cardiac arrest. Hmm. And, tried resuscitating her EMS came right away and my husband was home working out of the house and they resuscitated her uh twice but um the transfer team I didn't know it was a bunch of residents they suctioned her tried to suction her lungs because they said she had fluid and, and they made her stop breathing again and I apparently didn't have permission from the head doctor. I mean, it was all like such a fiasco. Wow. It was like there was so much malpractice involved, like wow. all the way around. And, uh, you know, it's like tough because people are like, oh, well, oh, you know, this was God's timing. Well, you wouldn't say that to somebody if their child was murdered. Right, right. You know, it must have been God's timing. You exactly. know, like there was, you know, but God gave people free will and they screwed up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will tell you, you know, it was an honor to take care of her. They they couldn't keep her blood pressure up any longer. Wow. Um, we had seven and a half hours when she first stopped breathing, and her birth mother was with us, and um, we did a special baby dedication, and I held her. Her birth mother held her, and then she died in my husband's arms. Wow. And she, yeah. uh, Cassie, was fearfully and wonderfully made, and yeah. uh, you will see her again. And I think it's it's those stories that kind of draw us into the fact that this this precious thing is a human life, and uh, boy, we go through these things. And I will tell you, I will tell you that it was. I definitely had the sense that it was absolutely the most important thing that I'd ever done in my life, taking care of her. Hmm. And it was an honor. Wow, and I bet most, if not all, mothers would say. The very same thing. It was an honor. And what discourages me, I know we have to take a break, but what discourages me is hearing people say, well, you know, when they make exceptions for abortion, it, rape, rape might be one. But they also say, oh, and with people with Down syndrome or those diagnoses. No, no, we've got to just value life more in this country. When we come back with Rebecca Kiesling, we're going to talk about the 2020 March for Life. We'll talk about Eric Metaxas and Ashley Judd on Stand Up For The Truth next. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Well, we're with Rebecca Kiesling on Stand Up For The Truth this morning or today on this uh, podcast. We've got March for Life. That's coming up next week already, less than a week away. Uh, Rebecca, will you be participating in some way at uh, March for Life? Yeah, absolutely. Every year. 
I'm with my organization. I bring my daughters, and we have a booth at the March for Life Expo. I speak at the Law of Life Summit, and um, we're out there at the march with our pink signs. Right. Awesome. And I see the, the sign you have on one of your Facebook pages. It says, Conceived from Rape. I love my life. You got some new signs. <laughs> I saw those. Well, we've had those. Uh, that sign we've had for several years now. But, um, yeah, we have some new custom signs that we just printed because some, believe it or not, some moms have multiple stories. So, like, Paula Payton, her story is that she was conceived in rape and she's a mother who became pregnant by rape. Wow. So we want that reflected in one sign. Darlene Pollock. Um, she was our vice president for many years. She was conceived in rape and became pregnant as a, resu- as a result of sex trafficking when she was a teen. Um, we have uh, Heather Hobbs. She's a mother from rape and was told to abort by, by doctors, was told to abort her three other children. Um, so she was pressured to abort all four of her children. Wow. So. Yeah, so we have, um, you know, we have to create special signs just for, you know, custom signs just for those people <laughs> who have um, the more complex stories. Now, Heather Hobbs, I've actually followed her uh, on Facebook, and I'm, I like her page. Is she part of Save the One as well? Yes. Yes, awesome. Yes, she's one of our national speakers. Awesome. Um, before we uh, go on to some other questions, Rebecca, I loved seeing you with Eric Metaxas a couple weeks ago, I think. Um, I follow his podcast. He interviews some amazing people. I was so blessed, just so happy for you that you were able to sit down and talk with him. Tell us uh, how that came about and how that went. Oh, actually, it came about because I was the keynote speaker at the Christian Legal Society's um, annual conference. And uh, they, I guess a good friend of Eric heard me speak and then just said, have you ever been on his program? And he's like, I'm going to recommend you. And then, you know, within days I heard from the producer at Eric Metaxas' show. So kind of cool, you know. I yeah. mean, and, and, and out of that, it's funny because I just got contacted yesterday morning by a literary agent who um, – is interested in representing me to write a book. So I've, I've got some homework to do now. I, I do a lot of writing anyway, and mm-hmm. I had started years ago. Um, but uh, I didn't want to self-publish. And I, I'm super excited. So it's kind of funny because this this particular, the Christian Legal Society, um, you know, it's very expensive for them to host. They, it's a huge um uh, venue like at a Marriott it was in Chicago they have different places every year but it's a big undertaking for them and they're you know a nonprofit, of course so um they don't pay their speakers and uh so it's like volunteering to just say okay you know I'll be available for Mm -hmm. this you know event this is important this is a huge honor to be able to speak to other lawyers because I'm an attorney I've I've litigated uh, pro-life cases as an attorney. So it was, it was an exciting opportunity, but it's like, look how God blessed that. Yes. Yeah. Praise God. Well, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I would love to be one of, one of your many uh, first interviews when you, when your book comes out. Um, do you have a title in mind, by the way, are we uh, too far ahead here? Oh gosh, I have no idea, but I (laughs) I mean, I have DVDs, so I have, and I have a pamphlet with Heritage House that's, Conceived and Rape, A Story of Hope. And then I have a DVD, Conceived and Rape, From Worthless to Priceless, which is, 
I really like that title. It's, mm. It has great significance to me. From Worthless um, to Priceless, I like that. Yeah, and they, he did mention he'd like to see a book that really focuses on um, value and identity. Mm. Yes. So I, I think that goes to it. And then we, we have a group DVD, um, Except in Cases of Rape, 12 Stories of Survival, and we have another one, Conceived in Rape and Other Exceptions. Where can people see identity. these or, or purchase these? I was going to say you can find that one on YouTube, Conceived in Rape and Other Exceptions. Okay, on YouTube. Um, you wrote a philosophical abortion essay called The Right of the Unborn Child Not to be Unjustly Killed. Um, are you going to bring... Philosophy br- of Rights Approach. Are, yes. The, the, philosophy yeah. of Rights. Are you going to bring part of that into your book? Or I, I would imagine that's quite extensive. and um, Or is that going to keep... Or you keep that well, separate? I mean, I tend to work... It, it, that was a secular piece I wrote when I was in law school. It was entirely secular. Mm-hmm. Um, this book is going to be, you know, faith-based for sure. Awesome. But um, I tend to weave the arguments into... When, when I share my story, when I speak, I weave the philosophical arguments into it. Excellent. Um, when I was in law school you learn something called IRAC, uh, Issue, Rule, Application, Conclusion for Legal Research and Writing. This is how you write a memorandum of law. Um, You have to state the issue, state the rule or the principle or the law, and then apply it to the real people in your case at hand and make your conclusion. And I tell people, like, you could be, you could know, like, all the arguments, like, the philosophical, legal, medical, scientific, biblical arguments, but if you don't know how to apply those to real people, in like in your case at hand in court, you will lose. And I think that same thing in the pro-life movement. Like you could be really equipped, but a lot of people they put forth these arguments, but they fail to make the connection for the jurors, right? Mm. That that this applies to real people. That we're talking about real people. Mm. Uh, when you don't talk about real people, it's just like a concept, and right. then it's easier to just dismiss because we're not dealing with real people here, right? Exactly. Um, Jesus did that. He he told stories. He he taught biblical principles in the context of stories and parables, and so that people could have that heart connection. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. Yes. So. So I, I try to do that. So when, when I speak, I don't I don't like going through the philosophical abortion essay. I mean, sometimes I'm asked to present on that, but it's like it's kind of dry because you miss yeah. that, that human connection. Right. I mean, in it, I do. There's some word pictures. There's there's some examples of the abortion philosophers. They use like the famous violinist. I don't know if you know that. Judith Jarvis Thompson and her famous violinist. She was like a big pro-abortion philosopher. She wrote this piece okay. in like 1972. And <laughs> I took a lot of the the top philosophers and showed their, like Michael Tooley and the reprogrammed cat. I, I don't know. <laughs> you probably haven't read up on that stuff. But no. for people who, who study this in college, they, they are familiar with those stories. And, and so I go through the story and then I have my own kind of stories. But without telling my personal story. You know, I talk about like death row mother. Okay. I talk about like being stranded in, in a um, snowstorm and you've got a child who needs to be fed. 
and that this child's not yours, even do you have a duty to feed that child? Interesting. You know, you, what if you're nursing and you're capable of breastfeeding? Yes. You have to use your body, right? That argument body, you know, if you just let that child starve to death, are you not responsible because of your proximity and your unique ability to be able to feed that child? So I kind of, you know, that's like, some of the stuff I go through. That's a great argument, great approach. I like that. Um, we're speaking with Rebecca Kiesling, and we've got a few more minutes left. We uh, mentioned, or you mentioned Paula Payton before and Save the One. Uh, March for Life is next week. I don't know if they're going to continue to have uh, the, the Me Too movement, another women's march, but Ashley Judd is a big part of that, and she's been very outspoken and pro-abortion. Paula wrote uh, her thoughts on Ashley Judd's stance and I would love for you to just just give your take on that, Rebecca, because I found some stats in this that Paula provided that a study that was done showing between 75 and 85 percent of women pregnant from rape do not have abortions. So in just her state, right. there were 480 women that allowed their babies to be born. We don't hear about that. And Ashley Judd never did anything other than continue to fight for the right to abort uh, children. So what is your take on not only that article, but just just the, the message that Ashley is continuing to promote? Well, she told Katie Kirk, and apparently she's been saying it a lot, that she was raped um, when she lived in Tennessee. The, the rapist was from Kentucky. She was originally from Kentucky. And... Um, she is justifying her abortion, not only saying because she was raped, but taking it further and saying because the law didn't protect her from the rapes having parental rights. Well, when I started out on this project 12 and a half years ago, there were only 17 states that provided for terminating parental rights of rapists. And now 49 states have laws to terminate parental rights or rapists. The, the only one that's left is Minnesota, and they're about to file their new bill. Parental so rights, you're saying? Working on, huh? The parental rights of the yeah. rapist, you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the parental rights of the rapist. So I've been working with a legislator in Minnesota whose wife became pregnant by rape, and she's part of her organization. Um, she's She is a birth mother who became pregnant by rape incest. Uh, her stepfather had been raping her. Mm. And so I've been working with him to get this model legislation introduced and, and it'll be passed in Minnesota, the last state left to, to pass a law. 25 of the states use the, our model legislation of clear and convincing evidence, which we got President Obama to actually sign, giving states an incentive. So like my team, we worked hard to change the law mm. and got together and made a difference. And we're not celebrities, right? So here she is. 35 years ago, she's using this and did nothing. Nothing. And in Tennessee and Kentucky, they did pass the law to terminate the parental rights of rapists, but requiring a rape conviction. We're working in Tennessee and Kentucky now to change it. And it, it was filed last year in Kentucky, and we had no support from her. And now it still hasn't been passed. We have three cases pending in Kentucky where we're fighting, rape victims are fighting their rapist over parental rights. Mm. And we're lobbying, trying to get that law passed to use the clear and convincing evidence standard in Kentucky. Where is she? She's sitting there and saying that there was a problem in Kentucky. She doesn't look back and care about anybody else. Yes. 
you know, the only solution for her is abortion. Yes, and I, I, I want to stress that point. Here's Ashley Judd, who, it, assuming she is telling the truth, and she was raped 35 years ago, she is so pro-abortion. The only choice that she's promoting for rape victims is to abort your baby. So if you were raped, you have to go to Planned Parenthood or to an abortion clinic. That's, to me, there's such an, a wrong... I mean, I'm glad Paula... Peyton wrote an article on that. I'll put that yeah. in, in today's blog post at standupforthetruth.com with all of your info uh, from the website Save the One. Uh, we will put this, Save the One, number one, uh, dot com from Paula, this story. Actress Ashley Judd doesn't care about rape victims like me who don't abort. So very important story there as well and another angle to it. And it's because she wasn't just using her rape. She was using... The, the fact that the law didn't terminate the parental rights of the rapist. Well, what'd you do about it? Exactly. Nothing. So she went and acted and made millions of dollars. And um, Anyway, um, yeah, we're going to definitely uh, keep an eye on that story. Maybe I wonder if people have ever tried getting a hold of her. Uh, Paul, you, maybe you, Paula. Some... I tagged her on Twitter in the article. I tagged her on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Well, uh, we can pray for them because, you know, their hearts uh, are hardened. A lot of people in Hollywood and the entertainment industry and the media who does not report fairly on March for Life and pro-life events. One of the biggest pro-life events in the world takes place every year in Washington, D.C., hundreds of thousands of people, and the media might just give it a passing mention but you've anyway, I, I won't get going on that. Um, Rebecca Kiesling, we've we've got to let you go. Thank you so much for your time this morning. RebeccaKiesling.com, pro-life speaker, conceived in rape. A lot of information on her website, plus Rebecca's story in detail. And Rebecca, other than your website, uh, what have you been uh, working on that people can you know find out about? Maybe legislation by going to your Facebook or going to your website. Yeah, absolutely. Go Twitter. to um, my Facebook page, Rebecca Kiesling, Pro-Life Speaker, and save the one. That's the number one, not the word one. And that's save the one. That's a separate Facebook page and uh, and website. We'll, yeah. take, we'll put that in today's blog post as well. Uh, God bless you, Rebecca. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time today. We appreciate you and all the work that you're doing for life. Okay, thank you so much. You're welcome. Rebecca Kiesling, um, I'm always encouraged talking to people who have so such amazing testimonies and and really these heartfelt stories that we need to understand. Life is such an important issue because God is the God of life. He created us in his image. When we come back, we'll uh, stay on this issue on life and talk about Hollywood a little bit more on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Such an amazing story and testimony uh, from Rebecca Kiesling. What a blessing to have her on. And again, next week, March for Life 2020. You can do something locally if you can't make it to Washington, D.C. Several stories I want to touch on in the remaining time we have left. And one of them is uh, we think, you know, we're, we're fighting for life. We're mentioning... You know, we are, of course, uh, pro-life means anti-child sacrifice, anti-murder, and we are against abortion. Uh, the media will label it, Hollywood labels, anti-choice or anti-abortion. Well, you know, so be it. We'll take those labels. But promiscuity 
and sexual experimentation and the religion of sex. Now, it's become a religion. It's been promoted so much in our society. What do you think leads to young girls and young women getting pregnant? Other than, you know, people in a marriage between one man and one woman. Well, sexual promiscuity, fornication, adultery. We don't talk about that enough, do we? Well, what's Planned Parenthood's solution to this? Basically, if children are going to have sex anyway, if they're 12, 14 years old, they're going to have sex. They're going to experiment. You might as well give them condoms and talk about safe sex since they're going to have it anyway. Would you do that with drugs? Since they're going to take drugs anyway, we, we might as well talk to them about the right kind of drugs or how to smoke a whatever or how to take certain drugs, how to shoot up with heroin. If they're going to do it anyway, you would never use that same argument. But, but with sex, we do. Planned Parenthood is opening what they're calling, I'm not making this up, a new story, well-being centers at Los Angeles, Los Angeles area high schools. What could go wrong, Right. Planned Parenthood of Los Angeles, they plan to open up 50 of these centers at high schools throughout the city, making birth control, condoms, and other, quote, sexual health needs available to youth. So they're just trying to help. Planned Parenthood is just trying to help the kids have safe sex and have fun and enjoy the, without worrying about the consequences or sexually transmitted diseases or anything else. I know I'm getting passionate about this, but this reasoning, this logic is just astronomically stupid. So they say, you know, a high school senior decided recently that she wants to become sexually active with her boyfriend, but she's not yet comfortable talking to her mom or dad about birth control and she would be able to get a doctor's appointment on her own. So she walks over to the Planned Parenthood Center at the school during her free time, during her free period. This is just mind-boggling. Anyway, another story that I thought, I just did a Freedom Project video, uh, my weekly Christ and Culture segment, on this very story about uh, Michelle Williams accepting her Golden Globe Award. I know it happened a few weeks ago, but she accepted the award for Best Actress in a Limited Series and emphasized how grateful she is to live in a country where women have access to abortion. And I'm thinking, of all the things you could be thankful for when you're up there at a Hollywood Awards show to thank whatever uh, for your award. Anyway, the message was clear. She's, she's putting a, you know, promoting the lie that women could not be successful or have a break in their careers and have a baby at the same time. So you have to abort your baby. So the question is, how much is your firstborn child worth? What is your baby worth? Now, understand, um, they need Jesus. They need to hear the gospel. They need to repent and be saved. No one is too far from the saving grace of a loving God. But when you are in rebellion, and when you are promoting such evil, calling evil good, you will have to answer for that. So I did this. It's over at Freedom Project. It's also on my website, davidfiorazzo.com. She did her speech, and one of the things she said was, uh, as women and girls, things can happen to our bodies that are not our choice. And I'm thinking, okay, she's not necessarily talking about rape there. Rebecca Kiesling, our guest today, uh, talked all about. She knew all about that. She knows that angle, but what 
Michelle Williams is talking about is just, you know, maybe in the heat of the moment, not having birth control and just having sex anyway, uh, fornication, adultery. That's what she's talking about. So things that happen that aren't your, so it's not your choice to have sex. It's not your choice to do that. No, it is. What we're doing is we're not taking responsibility for it. We're saying it's the, if it's the, it's the feel good, do it right. Go ahead and have sex. And it just don't just think about it later. If there are consequences, isn't this irresponsible brothers and sisters in Christ, please hear my heart. It is irresponsible. This worldview, this warped worldview, if do it whatever you want, the, it's, I call it the morality of self-fulfillment. It, please, number one, it's, I'm, it's just whatever I want to do, I'm gonna, if it's going to make me happy, do it. So that's what a lot of people, they have sex. It's going to make them happy in the moment. And then what happens if, if the girl gets pregnant? Okay, well, here's their solution. Oh, well, abortion. Thank God for abortion, they says. Um, she even said, Michelle Williams said in that acceptance speech, I wouldn't have been able to do this, meaning have an acting career and win a Golden Globe Award without employing a woman's right to choose. So I'm just, you know, explaining to you how wrong this worldview is. And it is an interesting Hollywood cheered, the audience cheered. You not only have to watch and hear what's being said, but watch how people react. Watch how the left reacts. Watch how Hollywood reacts. And then take it a step further. How does the church react? How do Christians react? How do we respond to this issue? Well, Hollywood cheered approvingly. There were some women with tears in their eyes and the audience saying, yes, the ability to murder our babies and the choice uh, abortion is so important. Yes, I agree. Well, uh, she said in another part of her speech, um, you know, you have your faith, I have mine. In other words, that's like leading toward moral relativism. That's your truth that what's in a mother's womb is a human life that's growing, developing. It has its own separate DNA from the mother at conception. She would say, oh, forget the science and biology, and, and of course, forget what the Word of God says. She would say, that's your truth. So what do you get when a society tries to make up, everybody makes up their own truth and lives by different truths? You have chaos. You have confusion. You have rampant sin and rebellion against God, right? At the, the end of the book of Judges, one of the last uh, verses in the book of Judges says, and in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. That's moral relativism. That's, I think this is right. I think this is true. You can think that's right and that's true, and I'm going to just tolerate yours. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> anyway, what I didn't get to today, I'm going to have to put this in the blog post here with the podcast um, at StandUpForTheTruth.com. What does God's Word say about abortion? There are s- so many scriptures. We'll put those. I know we've talked about them in different places and different uh, podcasts in the past on Stand Up For The Truth. We've had a lot of discussions about this very important topic about right to life and, and being pro-life. What does that mean, pro-life in all cases? And as Rebecca Kiesling um, would say, uh, pro 100% pro-life, she calls it meaning you can't look her in the eyes because her mother was raped and decided to have the baby. Uh, you can't look Rebecca in the eyes and say, you shouldn't be alive, right? you shouldn't be here. 
I'm pro-life except in rape. You should, yes, absolutely, we should abort all babies of women that are raped. Well, we just read those stats from that other article earlier. Just in that one state, there were, I think, almost 500 uh, women who were born. I think it was 480. Um, It says about 80% of women who get pregnant via rape, due to rape, they do not have abortions. They have those babies. And we'll put that story from Paula Payton in today's blog post as well at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Remember to share our podcast and share this on social media. We have some issues with censorship and Facebook uh, just not wanting to get our message out. But when we come back, a lot of exciting guests for next week, and we'll wrap up today's show. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. So much uh, happening this month. We're blessed to have a full calendar, I mean, for the rest of the month. Um, Pastor Jeff Sowald will be with us in a few weeks. Um, Radical Truth's Tony Garule will be back with us. And Laura Perry, former transgender um, Transgender to Transformed, I believe her book is called, if you want to get a sneak peek and look ahead. But starting Monday, Juan Valdez, we're talking apologetics. He's with Reasons for Hope, works with Carl Kirby. He'll be with us Monday. The uh, director of Trail Life USA, the Boy Scouts Alternative, Mark Hancock, will be with us Tuesday. Wednesday, we'll have Jan Markell. Thursday, Mike Gendron will talk about apologetics and the gospel, of course. And Friday, education issues and a little history on education with Alex Newman, the Newman Report, uh, freedomproject.com, and the Epoch Times. So a full line of guests. We're so thankful that people, new guests come on and some of these people come back. It's a blessing. But uh, guys, uh, keep warm if you're in the Midwest uh, this weekend. Have an awesome weekend. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please remember to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and share our social media posts because that is one of the main reasons we're getting out there anymore uh, since we have been shadow banned on Facebook for several years now. But uh, hey, God is still on the throne and he'll get the word out. Well, uh, thank you again for tuning in. Have a great weekend. God bless you and keep speaking the truth about things that matter.